All right, should we roll? We're on the box. We're on the box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, let's have some fun. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast. It is a wonderful day outside. Uh, the, the snow is melting. We are in North Dakota for all of you YouTube listeners out there, um, where it looked like a snow globe last week. Yeah, the, pile's, the pile is leaving. It is leaving. And with us today is, uh, we've got Noah, who's dressed up like he just played at the Masters, and Jacob. Who looks like he just got done cutting some firewood. Yes, that is, <laughs> that, that is about it. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, Bill Gates, and uh, I want to talk about how your best assets should be your biggest assets on your balance sheet. Layer by layer, day by day, the world, our markets, and your life unfolds. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and scaling your financial life. Tom Statham, Jacob Radke, Dan Schuster, and Noah Jezdahl work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom, Jacob, Dan, Noah, or any podcast guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fiel Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as basis for investment decisions. Tom, Jacob, Dan, and Noah are registered representatives of Sanctuary Securities and investment advisor representatives of Sanctuary Advisors. Fiel Capital Capital is a DBA of Sanctuary Securities and Sanctuary Advisors. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, they don't even think about, like, what's your biggest asset? So obviously, um, you would think about, like, well, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to invest, like, you want to invest your money in the, in the best place possible, right? And so uh, we're going to take a, take a dive into Bill Gates' portfolio and to see where he's invested. Bill Gates has made, you know, he's, he's investing in hydrogen. He's investing in all of these different asset classes that really make news. Um, but bet you people out there listening didn't know that his fourth biggest asset is waste management, which is... You probably see their trucks <laughs> picking up your garbage. Picking up your garbage. So anyways, that's going to be on the show today. So um, uh, before we get into it um, too much farther, uh, Jacob, what, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the markets? Oh, we're going to start with that this time. Let's do a little. Let's do a little bit of a market recap here before we get into uh, Sir Bill. All right. Well, so I mean, basically, the biggest thing was the jobs numbers last week. Yes. So we had job openings and unemployed persons. So job openings was Tuesday. Unemployed persons was Friday. It was a little weak. Oh, it was very weak. Well, the job unemployed persons wasn't weak, but the job openings is whatever get ever got everybody's eyes right glued to it. And it came in like a million under expectations at 9.9 million versus the 10.8 million that was expected. Very good bad news. And the market actually took it as bad news. So mm -hmm. when you get closer to a recession, the bad news probably becomes bad news. And that's what we saw. The two years, the two year yields dropped. Yeah. Signaling that the Fed was going to drop. Stock markets fell. Then on Friday, you had uh, unemployment come in. And I think it, that was only like maybe 5,000. Lower yep. than expected, yep. but still lower than expected and at the lowest level in, say, I it's don't like know, since 2020. Yeah, it's, it's real low. We're yeah. at 3.5%, which, uh, which is interesting. So, the market still rose on the week, though. Yes, the market is interesting. The market's having good. So if you check your 401k balances out there uh, or your investment account balances, things are, uh, things are definitely looking good. So, all right, let's get into Bill Gates here. Our good friend, Bill. So what do you guys know Bill Gates as? Like when you think of Bill, what do you think of? Microsoft. Yeah. Microsoft's got to be the number one thing. Microsoft. Co-founder. Co-founder. 
I think about philanthropist. Yes. Yep. I think about philanthropy. Um, I typically associate him with, I mean, um, like buying farmland recently, you know, there's been, uh, and this was just locally here. Um, I think it was, was it a trust that he owns bought farmland? It's out by park river. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think, yeah. So he made news and I think it wasn't that much. I mean, it was a lot of money, right? But I think it was like 10 or $15 million. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know so, the exact numbers. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I think about obviously Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Bill, I think of, he's really good friends with Warren Buffett. Yeah, I guess I don't know, but probably. Mm-hmm. I think he, uh, they play bridge together. Actually very <laughs> much so do. probably. I, I see the order of assets here. <laughs> yes. So I think when, when people think about Bill Gates, um, everyone thinks w- w- whatever you think of him, people probably, w- when you actually look at his balance sheet, um, you, you, uh, people's, what they think of him versus how he actually invests is my guess is, is, is different. Most people are like, oh, he probably's like got a huge position in some, uh, he probably owns all of beyond meat or, you know, and, and some solar farm. Yeah. Or some solar farms mm-hmm. or, you know, some hydrogen company that's, you know, going to change the world. And he does, but yeah, it's positions, not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So here's Bill Gates four biggest positions. And we know this because he has so much money, he has to report his positions to the SEC um, as to, so, so this is like, we can't see everything that he owns, but we can see what, where, where most of his money is. So here are the top four holdings of Bill Gates. Microsoft, Berkshire Hathaway, Canadian National Railway, and number four, waste management. Very, there's some stability there. Yeah, obviously Microsoft came from, I mean, there, those have to be founder shares at this point. Pretty much. Really old shares from way back in the 80s that I've, I, I would have to guess if he sold those, there would be so much tax implications that, yeah. Correct. Crazy. Yes. So he owns Microsoft, which he's the founder of it. It's also, um, we've got, how many, how many Microsoft? We've got four computers down here right now. Uh, we've got some Microsoft hardware over there. Um, we've, like, we have, like, we're making Bill Gates money right now. And like, um, if, if anyone's working right now, listening, you're probably on a Microsoft computer. Or you're using Microsoft products. Yes. You're using the, off, the, the operating system, the business suite, whatever. Something. Yeah. yeah. Like his money is obviously in his computer, uh, in his um, like company he founded, but it's like, it is a necessity on planet earth if you work to use Microsoft products. Berkshire Hathaway, another just, you know, uh, the core of Berkshire is Geico. Like he owns a car insurance. If you own a car, there's a good chance that you've you heard are, at least of yeah, Geico. Yeah, of Geico. So the second biggest company is his good friend Warren, and you know he's got a huge position in Berkshire. And when you when you look at what Berkshire owns, Apple. You um you think of like you know Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, uh you know Oxy. Burlington Northern. Burlington North. Yeah. yeah. There's just a bunch of companies inside that company that you almost can't live without. Yeah. I mean, you got to get stuff one one side of the U.S. to the other. You got to insure your car. Yeah. You know, required to insure your car. Warren is very good at picking out things that are like very staple to human existence. Yes. And makes a lot of money off of them. Canadian National Railway. This is, another, this is um, Bill's third biggest so, like, if you're in Canada and you need to ship products someplace, what are you going to do? 
you put it on a train <laughs> and you ship it across. And and the other nice thing is in Canada, there's a bunch of oil. So all those, all those oil tankers have to go across from whatever the yeah, sands, the tar sands and yeah. whatever, all the way to the, to the South coast of the United States and New Orleans to get shipped off Yep, or wherever, you know, and how do you do it? Like if you don't have pipelines to do it, you got to put it on a rail car and send it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a common theme here. If you can't tell that, um, Bill Gates owns a lot of railways and number four is waste management. Uh, there's uh, Republic, which is the, the, the two biggest uh, players for trash services in our country are waste management and Republic. And, you, you know, it's basically, you know, pick one, pick one or the other. Uh, he, he chose waste management. And the fourth biggest company that he has is, again, it's literally just taking our trash out. Yeah. So I, I pay Bill Gates every Monday. Actually, no, I, I pay the city of Fargo once a month for our, our trash bin. And part of that goes, you know, to pay the, the contract that the city of Fargo has with waste management. And, you know, a, a decent chunk of that goes off to, uh, to shareholders, to shareholders in the form of a dividend. So I'm uh, gladly expanding, you know, Bill Gates' fortune. <laughs> so you could probably kind of just look at his investment in Berkshire Hathaway as an expansion of his investment philosophy yes. in general. Like it's just the exact same, like Warren and him invest the exact same way, but he can just dump it into Berkshire instead of picking up. Entire yeah. companies, because yeah. that's how, it, how massive he is at this point. Yes, exactly. And I think with Bill Gates, what strikes me about his biggest assets is they're very practical. Yeah. Core to human mm-hmm. existence. Yeah, like who, wants to, like who wants to take their trash out to the dump? Not me. I'm not doing it. No, I don't even want to take my, or go get my Amazon package from the UPS store. Yeah. I don't even want to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the, um, like Bill Gates is a very practical investor. And, and again, this isn't just, this isn't something that you would, you wouldn't think that this is the case. Like, yes, he's writing checks. Like, yes, he's buying farmland. Yes, he's investing in all these crazy things. Um, and, and, um, but like where he actually cares about, you know, the, the large chunk of his net worth are just in companies that have huge moats. And this is like, this is Bill Gates' best version of investing are these four companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he goes off and he tries to do wild cards that are going to be like, all right, this is where I, I, I believe in this business. So I'm going to fund it and hopefully it takes off. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, if it gets really big, it'll be one of these core four things. But until that happens, he's not going to put all of his net worth into some risky startup and wait for something to happen. Yes, exactly. And you shouldn't either. Like you yeah. Should, yeah. You take strategic risks. Like if you're, if you have heavy conviction in something, it's okay, but don't throw everything at it. Yeah. Everything you have. Yeah. And there's, um, there's all these stats out there that says, oh, you know, if, if, uh, if Bill didn't sell any of his Microsoft, he'd have $300 billion or $400 billion. Yes. But I think what Bill, um, what, what Gates knows about this, and there's a couple different types of entrepreneurs. Um, Bill and Jeff Bezos are in the, they're at this, they're at their point in time where they're starting to layer their wealth into the real economy. Like that's what they're doing. They're layering, they're, they're diversifying their positions and they're just spreading out the risk because they know something that we all should understand is you only need to get rich once. Yeah. So it's like, oh, Bill could have been worth, you know, so much like X $300 billion. Well, you know, Gates has said, well, I don't want to, I don't need to do that. Like if, if Microsoft goes in the ground, which, you know, it could at some point, hard to see, but it could, you know, what's the, like, what's the point of, you know, why risk, why risk it? Yeah, right. Why risk that for everything when you can diversify it? And what's really the difference between $5 billion and $10 billion? Mm-hmm. 
I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I mean, it has to just be something like, oh, it's a little bit bigger. Yeah. It like, has to be the difference between a $5 bill and a $10 bill with these people. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like the, the reason I wanted to write about this in the, in, the, in the weekend reads is because there's a lot of wisdom in, what, in, in, how, in how, how Gates has invested his money. So when you think, let's, like, let's look at the average person. So the average listener here, your biggest investment is probably in your home. I mean, that's just, you know, when you look at the average American's balance sheet, their, their biggest asset is their home. Yeah. And I, like we know from experience, seeing a lot of, uh, you know, balance sheets of people that are, you know, significantly bigger than, you know, owning like $300,000 home. Um, there's housing is very core to human existence. Like you can't really build a cool company if you're cold that night and sleeping outside when it's wet and rainy in Seattle. Like, there's obviously housing's not just an investment. It's 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 like the the core functions of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But with that being said, I don't think we should necessarily like strive for our listeners to strive like my biggest ass is gonna be my home. Cause then you end up being just, you know, house rich, got yeah. a lot of money. The illiquid, um, you need your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't buy groceries with your house. You can't buy groceries. Yeah. You can put a fridge in your house to then put your groceries. Um but like your house in some cases is your best asset, but you can't use it. You can't eat it. You can't spend it. You can't you like, yes, you can sell it, but then you need something else. But then, yeah, then you need something else. Right. So, and then the other thing about homes is they typically grow at the rate of inflation. Right. Yeah. So it's like people's best assets on their balance sheet, you know, grow at 3% a year. Right. Which is all right, but it's not great. But it's not. Yeah not great there's so many other companies there's so many other investment opportunities out there for people to invest in that can grow faster but what it requires is is foresight Mm -hmm. and a little bit of discipline and a little bit of discipline yeah so your home like isn't isn't your your biggest asset it's not your best asset um and everyone's best asset is going to look different what's uh, you guys what's your best asset what do you think we're actually, I don't have do, that many assets, but no, let's, let's do it in 20 years. Like what, what do you want to be your, what do you want to be your biggest asset? I want a huge taxable yep. stock account and it's going to be diversified, but like, I mean, it's going to be just, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Jezdal. Yeah. I'm probably with you there. I might pick up a couple rental properties if things go the right way, but I think taxable investment accounts, probably the, the number one on my list. Yeah. I'm at the point where I'm I'm like down the business owner path for better or worse. Um, yeah. It's been good. BL Capital is going to be your biggest best asset. Yeah, that's that's going to be mine. Is is uh, is the company itself, and uh, um, and I guess to all the listeners out there, like you know, think through this. Like, what trajectory? Because like I I know myself, and I obviously know Noah and Jacob. Like, I know you guys are actually going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have the skills, the knowledge, the foresight. The, the capacity to earn, the opportunity to earn. Um, but like for, for people out there, I mean, most people don't even think about this. Yeah. You know, like their balance sheet happens by accident. Yeah, it just magically comes up. Like, oh, I have a bunch of cash in my account and now I should do something with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were proactively building something throughout time, you wouldn't ever have that realization, but you would be in a better place. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Like these things don't happen by accident. Like, um, you know, it's widely known that, that Bill Gates got lucky. Like he was, um, the chances of him being in a high school that had a computer when 
who was in high school was like, I, it was like one in a million or something. I, I just recently read about this. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely that if you were a high school, high schooler when when he was a high schooler that that you would have that opportunity. It was like extremely rare, like far harder than um, getting into Harvard, for example. Um, so like he did get lucky, right? Um, and, and there's a huge element, and he would admit it, right? But at the same time, um, when it comes to like investing and and what he's doing with his money. It's just not by accident. Right. Yeah. At this point, there is no accidents. Yeah. Billion, billionaires are made on tail risks, right? Like mm-hmm. They make big bets on something and then get big. Yeah. And then hopefully you're not taking more tail risks past that. Yes. Right. That's you only get rich once mm-hmm. or you should only get rich once. And then you just kind of, you're, you're not in the tail risk category anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like when, when you guys are out there like thinking about, you know, what you want your financial life to look like, you just have to think. Like sit down, and I was here over the weekend uh, doing our taxes, and I was just like, after I finished my taxes and I got everything done, I just like thought, I was like, okay, where am I? Where am I going? Like, what is happening now? What do? What can I do right now? You know, to increase uh, or to make my my family's situ financial situation better. But I just like had to sit there and think. It was on the weekend. I was in here by myself. My, my the lights were off. I was in my office. It was dark. I was like, what do I need to do? How can I be doing this better? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not an accident because like accidents can be good accidents um, or they can obviously be bad uh, when it comes time to to building. So I think, you know, with with Gates, like what we can all learn from Gates is like it's not an accident and like take time um, um, to make sure that your your best assets are your biggest. Because who cares if you own a shop or, or one share of Apple? Yeah. You and the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, who cares? But it's like, what if you had 10,000 shares of Apple? Like, that moves the meter. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and hopefully you don't only have 10,000 shares of Apple because that wouldn't be ideal. Yes. Yeah. You, you would obviously want to diversify, but um, all things to say, everyone out there, is just like, and as a group, guys, like, let's make sure that we, we like, try to make try to have our best assets be the biggest boom boom mic drop mic drop can't drop these mics we got these fancy new uh these new arms but um anyways if you guys aren't subscribed to our weekend reads we'll have a a show notes um we've been writing some awesome things and also uh sending everyone some uh probably some of the best articles curated articles that you can possibly read on a saturday morning that you will not find if you were just bumbling around the internet They'd be hard to find. They'd be very hard to find. Yeah, harder to find than just, they're not going to make it on like MSM News. No, definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. So, all right. Um, with that, big, um, make sure your best assets are your biggest. We talked a little bit about the market. Um, who would have thought the NASDAQ is up 15% for the year? Is that what it is now? I thought it's more. It's up 20%, over 20%. Year to date? Yeah. Dang it, I just read your report this morning. Hang on. It's 15. I'm pretty sure I'm right. You're to date? Oh, all right. I'm wrong. You're right. 15. There we go. 79. I was maybe talking about hey. the NASDAQ 100. I read, the... I read your own report there. Yeah, there we go. All right. So who would have thought, right? Not me. Well, all right. But this is weird too. So if you look at like the, the actual sector performance, you've got communications technology each over 20% on the year. And then you have uh, discretionary up almost 13% on the year. Yeah. And everything else is flatter down. Yeah. Everything else. Everything that worked in 2022 is down. Everything that didn't work in 2022 is up. 
Yeah. It's bizarre. And you, and you, when you look back at the numbers, like the one-year numbers, uh, they're starting to look, they're not good. You know, the market's still down, but it's only down a few percent, 5%, something like that. All right, but well, here's, here's the real question for you. Are we in a bull market or is there more storm clouds ahead? There's more storm clouds. How many more? How, how much? What's the depth of these storm clouds? Is it, is it going to be like lightning and thunder just pounding or is it going to be like, oh, we're getting a misting? I think it depends on, I'm at the point in time where it depends on what market we're talking about. I think we're in a, um, I think we're very well, uh, have some really good momentum in the stock market that can continue on. Mm. Um, I think the bond markets, the worst is over. The bond market will probably be flat-ish, although there's some really obviously some good, good opportunities out there. Um, I think the, like the illiquid markets, those to me are the ones that, the storm clouds are, are bigger. So mm. the real estate markets, um, I think, you know, BREIT, for example. They've had a ton of withdrawals. They've had a, they've had a big, yeah, this has been, the, I think, is it the fifth quarter, fifth or sixth quarter in a row where they've had, like, investors have maxed out their... Is it still capped? I didn't know if it was capped or not. Mm-hmm. I think so. Wow. And uh, apartment multifamily home sales uh, for the first quarter this year was just, like, basically non-existent. Mm. Um. So I think it depends on what market you're talking about. See, what scares me, and I don't necessarily think, so there was an interesting chart that I saw on Twitter, and it was something to do with, like, the stock market usually doesn't bottom before a recession is declared. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're in really strange times, so who knows if that's going (laughs) to ever hold up. But it it was really interesting. And then the other thing I saw is, and this is also just anecdotally, 10-year treasury notes, 10-year treasury or 2-year treasury yields. They're just they've just collapsed. Yeah. And that has to tell you something, right? That's like, all right, something's bad is happening and unless we have something reverse course here a little bit, there's just storm clouds out there, right? Yeah. Either a huge drop in 10-year and 2-year notes coupled with a stock rally is spelling great news for the economy because it's a pivot injection of liquidity into these companies. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you're seeing these yields drop because like there is storm clouds forming and now we're just getting a bounce before the drop in the stock market. And maybe not to new, new lows, but to some sort of like contraction. What I think is happening with the two-year yields. So what Jacob just said is people are essentially moving money from cash. Something, it's cash. It's got to yeah, be cash. Something to the two-year yield, uh, excuse me, to the two-year uh, part of the yield curve. And I'm pretty sure that that money is coming from cash, mm-hmm. extra cash. Like w- when, when we look at the, the money supply out there, there's still, a, there's still a lot, a lot, a lot of cash that's on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And to me, that has gone into, um, so it's like it's clearly gone into the treasury market. Yeah. And, you know, what was happening over the weekend was there were notes about how or articles written about how, you know, investors, you know, waking up to the light of like, oh my gosh, I don't need my bank to give me interest. I can just go to Schwab and, you know, buy treasuries. Like that inherently weakens the banking system because the banks have less to do with those deposits. There's Mm. less to lend. And when there's less money to lend from the banking, like from banks, that means the, like how fast money moves around the economy, like it slows down that is 
you know, restricted liquidity, restricted liquidity. And when credit does slow, you know, that, that can obviously affect the economy, but what's it going to affect? Like, that's why I'm, that's why I'm saying is like, there's pockets of rain clouds. So what does it affect? Mm. If this is happening, uh, the real estate market, it's going to affect small businesses. Yeah. Pretty sure Apple and all these big companies that we, you know, widely invest in here and most people in their 401ks, they're not like, they're good for their money and they've already refinanced. They're already sitting on cash. Like the big companies I'm pretty sure are fine out of this. Which is probably why you've seen the, uh, the top 10 companies lead yeah. the rally. I mean, totally. when you look at tech and communications in particular and even discretionary, you have Apple, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Amazon, and Tesla. Those are like seven, six of the largest companies in the world. And they are in the sectors that have led the rally and everything else is like flat or down. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot about strategy and tactics lately. The strategy being, I'm a real estate investor. I own a business. I invest in the stock market. Like that's your strategy. Like you don't need to necessarily change your strategy. The tactics need to change. And that is what we're seeing in the marketplace where large cap stocks are just off to the races. Um, you know, the, the real estate market, like there's all of these markets are starting to go their own direction. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is. But from an investor perspective, as you're allocating your capital, um, when you think about, you know, if you've got $2 million, like what do I do with my $2 million? Um, you just got to be smart and you just need to know, you just need to know what's happening in the different markets because there are just different markets right now. You know, everyone's like, oh, I love real estate because the stock market's down 35%. That has, you know, like that's, that, those, like that will flip. Like these things, right, yeah. these things yeah. constantly flip flop. Um, and that's just where from an investor perspective, you just need to know where you're going. Stick to your strategy. Like don't get out of real estate. Don't get out of stocks, right? But like change your tactics of how you are investing in those asset classes. Or even just investing going forward. New, new capital mm-hmm. coming in. Where are you allocating new capital coming in? Don't, don't even, you know, you don't even probably have to mess with some of the old stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, regular rebalancing makes sense, right? Yeah. But if you've got thousand dollars coming every month maybe you rethink about where those dollars are going yes in at least the short term to build different assets in your broad strategy bucket yes yeah, yeah. again don't need to change your strategy but like the tactics right because i mean last year what was the strategy buy the buy it the was, dip sell, sell the rip sell the rip buy the dip yeah exactly and that worked i think that that had like a 90 percent success rate in 2022 yep. versus like the average of like 40s 40 mm-hmm. success rate which there you go. Yeah. There you have it. And those what, active managers really took took advantage of that. Yeah. And what we were just talking about is like the 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 trading strategy. You know, it's just like, you know, people for the longest time were like, just just hold on. Like hold on. Like just just hold. Like don't do anything. Never sell your investments. Like never, never sell. And uh like, yeah, that's that like we largely agree with that. Um, but there are just more, you know, some more nuanced approaches to take advantage of, you know, of the environment. Which so. caveat, like you don't sell to do it. You just reposition. Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's you, just, you sell one thing to buy another thing. So if real estate has performed extraordinarily well, which is probably why some of B-REITs flows out are occurring. Absolutely. Because people were like, crap, this thing was up 12% and my stocks are down. I'm going to sell some of this and buy, my, buy some stocks while yeah. they're down. Yeah. And, and like, like, of course with, that happened. With B-REIT too is, you know, there's their institutional portfolios. They have mandates. They have boxes they have to invest in to keep their portfolio safe so they're not overweighted. So, you know, as, you know, as tech stocks, as, you know, stocks have sold off, you know, the, the percentage of some of these portfolios within real estate got too big. And so what did they have to do? They had to force sell. 
And then what they're, so they're selling something that was up and then they're buying something that was down. Like it totally makes sense. Yeah, it works. Like it, it totally makes sense why, you know, why some of these, you know, why, why some of this trading is happening. Um, but again, it's just one of those things as, a, as just retail investors, you just have to know how this stuff works. So like, cause it's probably not, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if it's time to sell B read or not. Um, but you know, it's just, it's helpful to know what's going on so you can understand why the money's flowing out or, you know, why the money's flowing in. There is a time to sell. Like there I'm, definitely is a time. I'm hundred percent convinced of that. No company is worth hanging on to forever. Jeff Bezos himself said Amazon at some point in time would be bankrupt. Which there yeah. you go. It has negative earnings right now, but I don't think that it means it's going bankrupt tomorrow. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not going to go bankrupt. Like we still own a lot of it here, but, um, it, it's just one of those things where, I mean, that's just what he said. He's like, at some point in like a hundred years or whatever, like it, you know, just companies, they don't exist in like they have lifespans. Yeah. I mean, you can, the graveyard of companies is very huge. Yeah. It's way, I mean, there's been a hundred billion humans on planet earth and there's like 7 billion of us alive right now. It's like, that's the same with companies. I think even in the turnover on the S and P 500, what comes in and what comes out, it yeah. changes by like 50 to a hundred companies every year, mm-hmm. 500 companies and 25 to 20, 20 to 25% are rolling out of it every, yeah. every year. Yeah. Wow. There it is. So credit to the uh, Australian government. So I don't know if you guys knew this. Um, I did see this. Uh, the uh, Australia hasn't, uh, they, they stopped. But Australia, what I was going to say is Australia hasn't had a recession in like 30 years. Actually? Something like that. It is wild. They have done a really, really, really good job of managing their economy. But is that a bad thing? So is it a 30 year long recession cycle and how bad is the drawdown on a 30 year? No taken. I mean, yeah, some of these things like you just, you just don't know. Um, you just don't know, but Australia has some of the, the wealthiest people on planet earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, if you can go a third of your life Mm -hmm. with zero recession, just just imagine the accumulation you can do with no drawdowns, no emotional drawdowns. In a 30-year time span? Yep. And how they did it is they, you, you have to invest in the stock market. You have to. Yep. You have no point. If you have a job, you have to invest. So how does that work? Like you just, you're mandated? Or is it all pensions? No. Nope. Finding benefits? No, it, it's, um, it, it's similar to our system, but like we, have, we, can, we can choose to invest in our 401k. Like they, they don't have a choice. You know, so is that tax revenue? Is that tax driven? Or is that like wealth driven? They I, want their people to be wealthy. Um, I don't think they want people to be wealthy per se, but they have, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's worked, you know, yeah. Bill Ackman, he, he was like, if you want to fix our Ameri- America's problem, he's like, give every baby $5,000 and invest it in the SPY when they're born. Yeah. Easiest thing ever. Yeah. Do you imagine the bubble? You had that. Yeah. Just look at, just look at what happened in COVID when you gave people $1,600 checks. Imagine giving every new baby 5,000, but that money has to be invested and they can't use it till they're 20. Something well, like that. Right. But I mean, when you invest it, like you're giving it to somebody else in some sense, right? No, I mean, it, it wouldn't. It changes hands. Yeah. I mean, it would. The, 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 first of all, the amount of money, you know, relative to how our country spends, isn't that, isn't that much for how many babies there are, you know, per year? It, like, it's not that much money. Yeah. I think it netted um, out to like, what was, I, he did say it. I remember yeah. hearing that. Yeah. It's not, it's not that big. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily have a, an effect on the real economy because the money's not going to be like you're not going to like go to Walmart and, you know, buy diapers with it. It's like, no, yeah. you can't touch this. Um, but it is a guaranteed inflow into the stock market. Exactly. Like every, yeah. 
So that's that's a little bit what Australia did. Um, but Australia paused. Australia paused and the Fed did not. And basically, they I mean, I think they cited it mm-hmm. even as just like, we're going to wait and see if price pressure, like price pressures continue. Yep. And if they do, we'll raise rates again. But until then, we're not doing it, which is what everybody told the Fed to do. Yeah. Every single person, it. including the bond market. And the bond market instantly, when they said we're raising it by 25 basis points again, was like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And they dropped, they dropped and projected that they were going to cut by 125. Yeah. 1.25%. Crazy, yeah, it's the f- massive. The Fed and the the Fed and the markets are definitely um, at odds. Definitely at odds right now. Um, which again is all the more reason to um, you know just check your strategy because uh, again we're at a point of like divergence between what the Fed's saying. Um, they're being data dependent, but the market is bad like, because uh, they're not using the right data. I'm not sure about that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, give me the gist on uh, Jamie Dimon's annual letter. So um, the the for everyone out there the Annual letters that actually get press are uh, Warren Buffett's and Jamie Dimon. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head right now that's known for their annual letters. Besides those people? Yeah. Like Nobody, widely known. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I you guess- you guys think of any? No. Those got to be the top two. Yeah. I'm going to say that that wasn't a letter. That was a novel. Well, this, so this <laughs> is an true. annual report. Yeah. So Bet I mean, like chat, chat GPT, write it for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know I'm, because this guy is very good at writing. Oh yeah. Jamie yeah. Dimon, man, was this, and I don't know if you guys read the whole thing no. or not. It is very long. I sat down and kind of like read the entire thing. Okay. He has a very smooth way about talking about complex things. There, like it, it makes sense when you're reading it, and we're not obviously going to go through this whole thing because it's incredibly <laughs> long, whatever. Yeah, but it, he's very diplomatic. He's very like he has he obviously has principles, and he even has it like right in the beginning in the introduction. He's like got steadfast principles worth repeating. Yeah, and he basically goes through and is like, all right, at the end of the day, sure, like pensions, institutions, whatever. That's yeah. who owns our stock, right? That's yep. who really has it. That's who has custody of it, whatever. Yep. But who's the end user of that stock, right? A pension eventually pays employees, old employees. Yeah. Right? People with their 401ks, they pull money out to fund their lifestyle, right? So he doesn't think of like, all right, so the people that use JP Morgan Chase as a bank even are the same ones that are using JP Morgan stock. So he's like, our community, by helping like clients, communities, everything like that, that's what our principles are. And that comes first before the stock price. And then yeah. the stock price will follow because you build trust with your community and your community with their 401ks, pensions, and everything like that actually are the ones that are buying it to then use it later. He's right. like, so our like mission is like human impact, helping the people, helping communities, stuff right. like that. And I mean, it was very diplomatic. It was very like, yeah, I don't know. It, was, it felt honest. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was interesting to read. It showed it. An understanding of like the role that they play in in the world in the world, I guess. But yeah, you can look at it as a local bank too. Like I know the the president of my bank knows the role that they play in the community, and they do that really well. But it's just comforting to see that they're they're in their lane and they know the the role that they play, and they're doing it really well. Yeah, because it's really hard, probably as a national bank, to say like, oh yeah, we're involved in the community. 
well, what what community, right? Like, <laughs> what does that even? Whatever. Mean? The Fargo community is is relatively small. So being a bank that's involved in the Fargo community is like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you can really be involved in the Fargo community as a bank, you can help out Fargo businesses. But as a national bank, like, how do you help out community, create community on a national level? It's incredibly hard to execute on. But yeah, makes sense. I mean, it makes sense at the end of the day. Like, it's just a different community. They're not sponsoring a baseball, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a high school baseball tournament. They're like helping pensions. Yeah. yeah, they're helping pensions, like basically whatever. I don't even know how help fund their liabilities. Why this is important, why we're talking about Jamie Dimon right now for everyone out there is he's at the helm of the biggest bank in the country and he has information and data that, you know, no one else has. Uh, I mean, there, you can say like Wells and Bank of America have, you know, just as much information. Uh, but he's got a he's he he has a pulse on the American people. This guy has an eye on I think it was in this report thirty two trillion dollars. Yeah, of banking, credit, wealth management, uh, investment banking, everything. Yeah. He's got eyes on all of it. Like that's a cumulative thirty two trillion dollars that he sees come in and out of the, the bank. Yeah, the government knows stuff about us. You know, it's fair to say that you know they just know stuff. Who like who knows what they know about us? Um, but like Jamie Dimon knows you know, just, just, just as much in, in some sense as to, you know, what people are spending their money on, like how much, you know, how much uh, money are people spending at Target as a percentage of their income? Like he could, he could say that with like reasonable confidence, reasonable confidence. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just so many people that they deal with. So that's why it's important. And, uh, we'll link to this in the show notes, but, uh, definitely, you know, he just, he has information that no one else has and he's the, um, I, I probably go out on a limb and say like, he's probably, he's been the, the most successful banker, um, of our time. You know, he's sure. just been, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he's made a billion dollars running JP Morgan. That's, which is, uh, which is crazy. So he's also got an economic outlook in here. Mm-hmm. Cause if you remember back, yep. he was the one that said the hurricane's coming. The storm clouds are coming. This would have been in, uh, I think like- in Q2 or three? Or- uh, I think it was, I think it was three. Yeah. So, so Jamie Dimon, oh, you know, maybe it was Q2. It, it anyways, last year, middle of last year, let's say middle, middle to end ish, you know, he made headlines saying that, oh, there's, there's, storm uh, clouds. there's storm clouds coming. Then he backtracked. Where's he at now? Well, he said here and now everything's fine. There's okay. Good credit. Yep. Good jobs, higher wages, up, uh, higher home prices. That's whatever. comforting. Everything. He says that that's here and now, but he's like, there is storm clouds ahead yeah still you know and he was saying like we have abnormal quantitative tightening and fiscal spending mm-hmm. like, there's no doubt that that's what we have today okay so to decode what jacob just said that is there the fed has raised interest rates extremely fast that's what that says yep exactly yep. and uh he's like consumers have excess savings that are coming down to zero by the the end of the year uh the, the quantitative tightening, fiscal spending climate spending all this stuff is just lingering in the economy he's yeah. like persistent inflation maybe lasts longer Stuff like that. And then you have unpredictable wars, energy and food crises, but averted for now. But he said that there could be potential for, yeah. uh, for issues there still. Uh, trade adjustments, alliances, stuff like that. There's just a lot of unknowns in the economy. And he was just highlighting like, we're fine today, but here are the storm clouds. Mm-hmm. This is what I see. And he was also saying like this, especially this consumer excess savings, right? Like a dollar spent is somebody else's income right yeah. and so all this xx savings is what caused the pandemic the stimulus everything like that all these savings and if that's hitting zero and he says there's only 1.2 trillion left only 1.2 trillion yeah. which i mean <laughs> when you look at the entire banking 
deposit base, yeah. it's like, all right, 1.2 trillion. That's, uh, we're nearing it. Yeah, we're nearing it. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's slow this train down because we are um, almost at 40 minutes. So if you've listened this long, first of all, you're awesome. Thank you for your time and attention. Um, so just to recap here for everyone, I think the markets are, you know, you know, we're having a good year in the market, bond market and stock market. I think it's, it's been a welcome sign. There are storm clouds coming, right? Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm in the camp of it. It just depends on what you're talking about. Like, I think the overall situation, um, you know, the, we're, we're going to have inflation for probably longer. The Fed will probably pause here, maybe this time or maybe after their next meeting. I don't think they're going to pause. I don't think so. Okay. You heard it here. We've have a, we'll, we'll see. It's we'll sounding see. like it's not going to happen. Yeah. No matter how much people tell him to do it, he's not going to do it. Yeah. So, so we could have another hike or two. Um, but overall, like we can't control that. So it's not like we can just, you know, call up uh, Jay Powell and say, Hey man, I really, really think you should consider, you know, pausing. Like he's not going to do that. But what you can control is where you're investing and, you know, really focusing on how you can have your best asset, be your biggest asset and like strive for that. Um, and again, take a page from Bill Gates' playbooks, like practical companies, like all his big money isn't in startups that can just evaporate. Like it's just their core, they're useful, they're practical businesses that he's made an enormous amount of money on. So with that, um, really quick, lightning round, best part of last week. It was Easter. So that was it. Easter. I like traveling for Easter. There and, we go. Uh, gaining some weight. So. Okay. Do you have some peeps? I did not have peeps. No, it was, it was just a lot of green bean casserole and <laughs> ham. There we go. Say so three, threefold Easter, the Masters, and my good friend Carter was back in town. Oh, so yeah. Give him a shout out. There we go. Carter, yeah, if you're listening, shout out. It's good to see you, like, you know, an hour ago. Um, best part of my week the, this past week, I went on a daddy daughter date with, uh, with Lucy on Friday afternoon. I uh, we went to the country club and uh, we just had a great time, about an hour and a half of just talking about things that a, a four year old is interested in. So, so what are you talking about? What's a, well, what's you Lucy just you talk about in? being princesses. You talk about how much you love chocolate. Um, you know, we went to the bathroom a couple times. You know, it was just, I was drinking coffee. She was having a Shirley Temple. She had her first Shirley Temple ever. I was like, hey, you can only get this here. So big, yeah, mi- big milestone. <laughs> so anyways, thank you all out there uh, for partaking in this hopefully extremely valuable podcast. Couple things. Please subscribe to our Weekend Reads newsletter. We are working on building the best newsletter. There's 700 people around the country that get it every Saturday at 9 a.m. We are putting our best into this thing, um, and we hope you subscribe. Um, If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, uh, please do. That's where uh, a lot of our growth is. Uh, And again, if you're interested in what we do for a living, because what we talk about is actually what we implement in our clients' lives, uh, do check us out and book a meeting with one of our advisors or... Just Noah right here. I mean, he's he's in the flesh right here. Yeah. So anyways, uh, thank you uh, for, for checking us out. Email us with questions if you do or feedback for the show. We'll see you guys next week on the Lime and Money Podcast.